Let's talk development. Episode 8. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Ijaz Nabi. I am the executive director of uh, CDPR and I'm delighted to host a conversation today uh, with uh, a friend from the World Bank, uh, Gonzalo. Um, he's been um, working on the Pakistan for several years now. And he has produced one of the best reports I've seen uh, done by the World Bank in recent years, uh, which focuses on a key issue uh, that concerns Pakistan, which is productivity. But before we get into the details of that issue, I'm going to request Gonzalo to introduce himself and tell the audience a little bit about his background uh, before he started working on Pakistan. Thank you so much, Ijaz, uh, for the for the invitation. It's a pleasure to to be here. Uh, so I'm a senior economist working for the World Bank in in the Islamabad office. I'm a PhD in economics from the University of Sussex. And before working here in Pakistan, I worked for a number of years in the World Bank in in, in Washington D.C. Uh, on the global trade uh, unit. So working on the on the trade agenda globally in all countries with which we have engagements. Um, and, and prior to that, and prior to my to my PhD, I, I worked in in academia. I worked in in the private sector in Uruguay. That is where I'm from, uh, and in in the government actually for the Ministry of Industries of uh, the government of Uruguay. Um, so I've seen private sector, academia. I've seen international organizations, and now I'm very happy to be to be working in Pakistan. I'm I'm actually on my last. Uh, three weeks in Pakistan. I'm about to to move to Philippines, where I'm going to be taking a, a new role. Um, wonderful to learn about your rich background, um, which in fact is reflected in the excellent report uh, that you uh, managed. So, Gonzalo, let's um, uh, start off with the first broad question uh, about uh, the theme. You know, normally when we have these discussions, we start with our focus, which is economic growth, generating em- employment and income, raising living standards. That's what uh, public policy and economics is all about. So why is productivity so central to that question? Productivity is central because productivity is at the heart of the improvements in standards of living. Uh, and this is what, what people care about, right? So, so when you try to understand what explains the fact that the average income of a household in the U.S. is, say, 40 times, about 40 times as, as large as the one of well, average household in Pakistan. Uh, it actually comes down to how productive people, so how productive the members of that household are at what they do. Um, and, and this issue of productivity is, is then central. It's central because the more productive you are, then the more value you create, and the more value you create, the more the economy grows. Uh, but if you're in a job in which you you create a lot of value, then the wage you're going to receive is also going to be higher, right? So more productivity means economies that grow faster. It means better paying jobs. Uh, for a company to be able to increase the wages of its workers, the company needs to be operating at high levels of productivity or of efficiency. That is a, a synonym, right? Yeah. So this this issue of productivity then becomes central, right? As you mentioned, it's central to to, to the growth of incomes uh, is central to the creation of good quality jobs. But it's, in the case of Pakistan, it's not just a central thing. It's also very problematic. Uh, and uh, over the 
the past two decades, the growth of real incomes of households in Pakistan has been quite low. Average real GDP growth per capita, that is a measure of, of the growth of, of income per person, uh, grew at an average rate of 1.7% per year. Uh, and just to put these numbers in context, uh, the average growth for South Asia uh, over the same period was 4%, right? So more than more than twice as fast. Uh, and at the heart of this, what we had in Pakistan is a, is a productivity challenge, actually. And, and I can give you a couple of numbers. Before we get to the numbers, uh, Gonzalo, how do we define productivity? I think people would want to know. And then we'll talk about how we measure it. And then we can make comparisons across countries. So, so let's talk a little bit about how productivity is defined. Right. So in essence, in essence, you can you can define productivity as how much output, so how much you can produce with a given set of inputs or resources. Right. So uh, the more output you can produce with a given set of inputs, the more productive you are uh, at using your resources. So if you're given uh, if you know, if I am uh, given a, a computer and a full day of my time, and I produce uh, <laughs> that report you were talking about, I actually need much more than 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 one day. But uh, then uh, I, I may be highly productive, right? If I take five days, then I, I am less productive. So basically, the way we define productivity is that is the amount of output that is produced given an a set of resources that you have available to produce that can be people, so workers, can be machines, can be land, can be the combination of all of that, right? Uh, so you can take a measure, a typical measure of productivity, the productivity of workers can be how much value each worker adds, uh, say, in a month, or a day, or, or in a year, right? Uh, you may also want to take into consideration other resources that you may be using, say, for example, the capital equipment, the technologies that, that you also use to produce. Uh, so you can calculate a measure of productivity that takes into account not just one factor of production, say labor, but all factors of production, labor, capital, or land. Uh, and in that case, we talk about total factor productivity. That is a measure of the efficiency with which you are combining capital, labor, land to produce uh, output. And these things can be measured at the, at the macro level so we, one can measure this at the economy level, say, okay, how, how much total factor productivity has been increasing in Pakistan over the past, say, 10 years. And one can get a measure of that at the macro level. But this is something that you can also measure at the level of the firm, the level of a company. So how productively are companies operating? So you can look at balance sheets of, of companies and see, you know, how much capital equipment they have, how many workers and how many, how much do they pay per you know, per hour, so that to have a measure of the how skilled the workers they have are, that are another element of resources, uh, and how much they produce and how much value they create. And so on the basis of these three things, how much capital, how much labor, how much value they produce, you can come up with a measure of total factor productivity. And that, that measure is a measure actually we use uh, in the report to measure the, the, the productivity of, of firms in manufacturing, in the services sector, but also the farms in agriculture. So, hey, I mean, the way you are defining productivity is very important for a country like Pakistan, because what we are saying is that if you, it's, it's it, it, given the machinery that you have, uh, the raw material that you have, 
in the case of agriculture, the land that you have. There are ways of making people more productive using the same equipment, the same machinery, the same amount of land. You can get more output per worker. Uh, and that, because that's a very important idea when you discuss productivity in a country where the saving rate is low because you want to make sure that whatever saving you are doing is giving you the highest return and therefore productivity becomes even more important than than in other contexts. That's great. So now that we have understood what productivity is and why it's important for a country like Pakistan, give us some international comparisons of where Pakistan stands uh, with respect to other countries. Right. Um, so it's, it's not a very... Uh promising comparison. Unfortunately, Pakistan fares quite quite poorly when it comes to, to these comparisons. Um, and to to give this in the, these comparisons, I like using measures of value added per worker, because in a way that's a, easily to interpret, easy to interpret and it's, it's internationally compatible. Um, and in looking also at relatively long periods of time, so that one can see a long-term perspective. Um, and so we, we looked at value added per worker in real terms in Pakistan and compared the last three decades. Um, so what was happening 30 years ago, what is happening now, and what we've seen over the past 30 years, we've seen an increase in real terms, 40% in the value that each worker on average creates. Uh, so that, okay, yes, these workers became 40% more productive. One can say that's good. But then when you put this in an international comparison, you see, for example, what was happening in Bangladesh. For the same period, the average Bangladeshi worker increased its value by 175%. So more than four times faster. So the productivity of the average worker in Bangladesh grew four times faster than that of the Pakistani average worker. And the productivity of the average Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese worker grew by 330%. That's about eight times faster than the one uh, uh, in Pakistan. So there is something happening that is making Pakistan lag behind. There is something that is inhibiting innovation that is crucial for productivity growth, uh, that is keeping productivity lagging, and more importantly, for what we said at the beginning, is keeping the incomes of households low, because that's what product low productivity does. It anchors down the incomes of households. Because the less productive you are, the lower your wages, uh, and therefore the lower your living standards. Absolutely right. But Gonzalo, as we explain the reasons why Pakistani workers' productivity is lagged behind others, uh, we need to keep a historical perspective. Uh, uh, we used to look at these numbers uh, a few years ago. Uh, Pakistan ranked reasonably well uh, in comparisons uh, across similar countries uh, with which you are comparing Pakistan today, India, uh, Bangladesh. Well, B Bangladesh not so much because I was looking at data that went before 70s, um, uh, but certainly India, Sri Lanka, uh, countries in Southeast Asia. Uh, Pakistan's productivity didn't look so bad uh, compared to these countries. Um, clearly, something changed uh, over time 
which which made Pakistan lag behind. So let's understand uh, what changed as before we can talk about what to what to do about it. Okay, so I'm going to be biased here because I I look a lot and I'm I'm seriously convinced that international integration, so inter integration of markets, you know, integration of countries with global markets through trade, through investment, through migration also, uh, are crucial, I call them platforms for learning, are platforms that uh, help firms become better at what they do. So if a firm is exposed to what others do through trade, as you export, for example, then you have clients abroad and you learn. Or because you import, you import machinery, or you import inputs, or you import uh, final goods, you compete, or you get new technologies, then you also learn. If you get FDI, you get foreign companies to come and set shop here, you see how these you know, multinational companies that typically are more productive, they operate. You learn from that. Internationally, evidence is inequivocal here. Exporting trade, particularly trade in intermediates, and FDI is systematically associated with productivity increases. Um, now, what has happened in Pakistan over the past 20 years? Over the past 20 years, what we see is that Pakistan took uh, an inward turn. Uh, there are some things that are related to policy and some things that are related to circumstances, right? Circumstances that are, perhaps are really independent from policy. So there, there have been security concerns that uh, that affected the capacity that Pakistan had to attract multinationals for a long period of time. And so FDI didn't come all that much to Pakistan. But there were also policies, uh, policies in the area of trade that made uh, exporting very like a residual option because uh, import duties increased so much uh, competition was uh, cut. So import competition was cut because you made imports very, very expensive with high import duties. And so what that meant was less imports of intermediates and, and capital equipment that are crucial for productivity, for technology transfers and therefore the productivity, but also a protected market in the, the protected, protected domestic market. And so firms that choose, instead of exporting, they choose to sell domestically because more product is more profitable, not product is profitable, to sell domestically because you're sheltered from competition from imports. So that increases in import duties, those called import substitution, if you like it, actually ended up being an export substitution type of policy. It meant to be an import substitution type of policy. It ended up substituting exports instead. And actually what it ended up substituting was it substituted productivity gains. Productivity remained stagnant because you didn't have these powerful platforms to learn from, trade, investment. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting uh, what you say, Gonzalo, uh, because uh, the earlier period when Pakistan compared quite well on productivity with the with the neighboring countries, uh, Pakistan was also doing much better in terms of trade. Uh, Pakistan's trade to GDP ratio was among the highest. Uh, in comp comparison with neighboring countries, and now it is the lowest. So, so th there is a lot in what you say. Exposure to trade, uh, because you are competing with much more productive firms outside, it raises uh, your own uh, standards 
uh, and therefore it increases uh, your own productivity as well. Uh, so absolutely right. Uh, Gonzalo, one big concern people have is that uh, um, a, 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 we, we've examined the relationship between trade and productivity. Uh, the other big issue uh, in, in enhancing productivity I have, in my work on various countries in the world, um, I have seen that countries enjoy sustained long-term growth when a large number of people move from less productive economic activities to more productive economic activities. Uh, uh, in, in Pakistan, that transition is needed across all kinds of workers, but especially it's needed for women, because uh, women are, uh, uh, it's not that women are not contributing, they're contributing to the household welfare in many ways, but uh, a, a by and large, the productivity, if you measure that productivity, doesn't turn out to be very high. Uh, and if women, if half the labor force, which is in, in caught up in low productivity activity, if they were to become more productive, Pakistan will experience a very similar kind of growth outcomes that other countries. Malaysia, for example, is a very good example, uh, case where uh, um, they transformed the society by having more Malaysian women join the labor force. Uh, so I know that your report focuses on that issue also. So I'd like to hear a little more about the importance of women working to make to improve productivity outcomes. Yes, yeah, so this is, this is a very good question. Indeed, in, in our report, we look at the role that female labor force participation has or doesn't have in promoting growth in, in Pakistan. So what we do there is we, uh, we, we, we look at the case of Bangladesh. So Bangladesh is a country that, you know, has similar cultural background to 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 Pakistan, no? Uh, but there has much higher participation of female in the uh, labor force. So we we uh, we use a model that doesn't it's not necessary to, to go into details now, but basically we say what would happen with income, right, with GDP of the country, with the value produced by, by Pakistan, if the level of female labor force participation was to match that of Bangladesh. No, not that, that of Norway, not that of Sweden, not that of Bangladesh. What we find is that there's a 36% that there will be a 36% kick in GDP if we match the participation of female in the labor force of Bangladesh. Now, a third bigger, right? So the, the, the pie would become a third bigger. But this is a, this is an understatement. So this is a, a lower bound for the effect. Why? Because we're just here focusing on we can call them static effects, you know, getting more women into the labor force. But there are dynamic effects that are much more powerful and that have to do with um, with allocative effects, right? And what do I mean by allocative effects? What I mean is that you have, in a way, there's, you know, 50% of the population is females. Uh, female labor force participation is about 20%. So you have... A, about 40% of the population that is out of the labor force, right? Um, and, and, and as you mentioned before, they do contribute to the economy. Of course, they contribute to the economy. 
but they have a, a, an allocated role. You know? um, many of these women are highly educated. Many of them, even if they are not highly educated, they, are, they, they have high ability, innate. Yeah. And in a way, is I like to use this example. I, I became sort of a, a cricket uh, fan. And I like to see, the, you know, it's like, it is as if we said, okay, Babarazam, let's not allow him to, to, to play cricket, right? And let's put Babarazam to be a bank clerk. Yeah, he will contribute to the economy, right? But he would be much better off doing what he's good at. And there are all these women that have the ability, in some cases the ability plus the education, to excel in the in the labor force and to do whatever they want to do. But if we are not allowing them to move into, into good quality jobs, then uh, it's a, there's a big opportunity cost. We're, the foregone opportunity that we have there is big. It's big for them, huge for them. It's big for the economy as a whole. Uh, so, so I think this dynamic effect, this effect of empowerment, this effect of allocating, this is a very nerdy economic term, right? But allocating the resource to this best possible use. In this case is allowing females to choose what is it that they're good at, uh, that will have a huge impact on productivity, a huge impact on incomes. No, I think I think uh, this is excellent, and you've given a very good summary of what's in the report. And I hope uh, the people who are listening out uh, out there will be encouraged to to read the report because it's it's really a, one of the best uh, uh, reports I've seen in a while coming out of the bank. And I speak uh, with a long experience at the World Bank. Uh, Gonzalo, I want to ask you some. Uh, 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 which may you may consider difficult questions. A, 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 a number of, a uh, lot of research going on now is showing that that Pakistan, since the 90s, uh, has, there's been a structural shift in the country in the way decisions are made. And what you're observing on growth outcomes, on trade outcomes, on, is all related to that. That shift that has happened in Pakistan since the 1990s. Uh, a number of uh, reports of the World Bank have, uh, have have emphasized the need for sport growth, making the economy more competitive, etc. Uh, I want to know how, what kind of reception are you getting from the government uh, for this report? And and will this report make any difference compared to all the other reports that have tried to uh, get the government to focus on these issues? What is your sense? Well, I think the report is is uh, is being read. Um, just to give you a metric, uh, the report has today about ten thousand downloads and fourteen thousand views. That is a good metric. Uh, but but I I I, I am a, I'm aware at least that that different policymakers in different places are, are reading whether that is going to translate into into action um, that I, I cannot tell because of course I'm I'm not a policymaker I'm not in charge of making decisions but what I do but I can what I can tell you 
is that uh, at least in the in the areas in which I engage the most, that are areas related to trade investment, uh, trade and investment policy mostly, um, I think there is interest at the level of the the civil service and the bureaucracy that is that is making important decisions in a day-to-day basis. I think we are making we are working together in in making some positive changes. I think. There are very good. So Pakistan has very good people working in the civil service. Um, that that they try their best. Having said that, what is true is that many of these reforms are complex because there are a lot of vested interests in, in involved in 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 these reforms. Uh, crucial for productivity growth is competition. But competition is something that we all say that is good. But we don't like it when it affects us, right? So if competition in, in, involves opening up markets, that means probably lower profits for me in the short run because I'm going to have competitors, and if I have competitors, my, my profit margins will, will, will lower. That creates, well, when you have some big players that have a lot of lobbying power, uh, these big players will exercise their lobbying power because they don't want to give away profits. Um, so that, that's, going to cre- that's going to make it very difficult for, uh, for change to happen. And this is why I think a crucial element is, you know, this conversation that we're having today, for example. A crucial element is to ensure that there is a civil society out there that is uh, informed about, okay, what is productivity? How, how is it, what is happening with productivity? What are the key elements that, that will increase productivity and how will we get that done? And so they demand, they demand these reforms, right? So an informed civil society that demand the reforms, I think is going to be a useful way of countering the lobbying, the natural lobbying. There's nothing, you know, unexpected. Like there's lobbying everywhere in the world from those that have vested interests and that, that they are at a position to lose from uh, the reforms. Also because from the firms that have a lot to gain from these reforms, many of them are not yet in the market, right? They don't exist. They are potential firms, and so they are not there to push. So it's civil society, the role of civil society is crucial. Uh, I, w- I wanted you to focus on a concrete example. Uh, Pakistan's largest exporting activity is the textile sector, right? We know that across the range, you know, from uh, uh, yarn to cloths to uh, ready-made garments. Uh, and we also know that in terms of the productivity kick, employment kick, uh, a, the ready-made garments group is, is, is the one that's going to deliver the most because they, they create exactly those kinds of jobs, give you the highest value addition internationally. In your three years of working on Pakistan, uh, you have come across all of the major groups uh, within textile sector. Uh, so you would advise the government, to, look, you have a limited amount of subsidy, you, you have budget limits, uh, give most of the subsidy to that segment in textiles, which will give you the highest kick in terms of productivity. Growth. And that would be the ready-made government sector. Where is the subsidy actually going among these three groups? So let's clarify here a little bit. The, the, the sector is big, as you mentioned, the sector is big. 
Uh, and within the sector, there's a lot of heterogeneity in how the sector operates. And you have, you have some firms that operate as islands of excellence. And they are, they are one of the, among the largest exporters of Pakistan. They are big players internationally. Uh, just to name one, I was impressed with one. I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but there is one company in Pakistan that has developed full traceability from the, the, the place the cotton is grown to the shirt that is produced. So you're wearing a shirt. So this is something that the, the, the Europeans really like, this full traceability. I, I am familiar with it because in Uruguay, we do it for meat. Here, what they're doing is a similar thing with the cotton. And uh, that is extremely good from an environmental point of view. It's extremely good from, from an efficiency point of view because you can identify diseases with the you know pests with the cotton production so you can say okay which part was this grown and you can you know narrow down and say okay i'm not buying from here until the pest gets sold etc there are many many reasons why this is great for for productivity and it's key innovation this innovation that is going to get sold so there you're not going to have garments being sold have knowledge yes. being sold to the rest of the world in form of that that, that traceability now when it comes to the subsea study, um, I think the subsea, well, the government needs to be very careful with the subsidies, right? In, in the sense of uh, the, the public funds are extremely limited. Uh, how are you allocating them? So what is the principle towards which you allocate? And one of the things that we did in the, in the report was to look at one particular subsidy that was the DLTL, a drawback on, on local taxes and duties. Um, and one of the things that we see is that the the criteria for the allocation of the subsidy was not on the basis of the growth in demand or sophistication of products or diversification incentives. It was mostly related to the lobbying power of uh, those that were yes. receiving. So textiles received a lot, but particularly those products in which you had the largest firms Right, so within textiles, you had high subsidies for those products that were produced by the largest firms. So these largest firms managed. So we had when you had few but may, but very large companies producing a particular product, that product tended to have the highest rate of subsidy. So which segment in the textile chain was with this concentration of large firms? Well, well, it 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 varied, right? It varied, it varied. Uh, but 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 that was the regularity. The regularity was you needed to have a limited number of very large firms for securing high rates of the rebates. Uh, in this area, for example, commerce has been working quite hard in changing this. Uh, so going back to your previous question, right? Are they doing something about it? And, and DLTL has been going through. I mean, now it's it's on pause. But I have to give a lot of credit to the authorities and Ministry of Commerce and how they have been trying to, to redesign the LTL to make it more efficient, to make it align with growth objectives, with sophistication or diversification objectives. Okay. So so what you're saying is that the bank is uh, uh, is involved uh, at the technical level uh, to change things, and the bank has indeed been involved at the technical level for a long time. Uh, uh, how effective even the technical people are in the final decision-making 
uh, which gets uh, taken at the level of the minister uh, is a different matter. Um, and, and for that, you need a much more stable government, a government uh, with a longer-term horizon and, and a longer-term accountability uh, for that uh, to come about. And, and, and unfortunately, we haven't seen that uh, in Pakistan for, for many years. Uh, which is partly why Pakistan's overall productivity performance has been going down, because the kind of reform that you need in order to change the structures, which will start giving you more higher productivity, which will start allocating the resources better, that reform isn't forthcoming because we have not had stable governments uh, for a long time now. Uh, would you agree with this conclusion? So, when when you look at productivity, so innovation, innovation is basically to, to achieve innovation. What you need is long-term investments, and long-term investments are the most sensitive thing to instability. So, the key determinant of investment long-term innovation is uncertainty. The more uncertainty you have, the less you're going to invest in a long-term plan, right? It's a typical investment. You need to get more innovation, get more productivity. So, yes, the more instability you have, the more the, the worse that is for productivity because the, the less you will invest in long-term innovation. So if you had, if you had an instability variable that you could measure across countries, and I'm sure there's a way to construct these variables. Uh, Pakistan's poor economic outcomes in the last 20, 30 years would be highly correlated to that uh, variable. Probably, probably. I, I, I haven't calculated it, right? But this is something I looked at when I was looking at my own country and my neighboring country, that is Argentina. In many ways, I look at Argentina, I look at Pakistan, I see many similarities. Um, and, and and yeah, so when, when Argentina is a country characterized by a lot of economic uncertainty, and that economic uncertainty has taken a toll on uh, the ability of firms to, or the willingness, not the ability, but the willingness of firms to invest uh, in the long term, right? In innovation that takes you know, long a long time to to come to fruition to give you a return. Yeah, but but you, I, I, there is there is some comparison between Pakistan and Argentina, but but frankly, Argentina doesn't have wars going on at its borders, uh, which makes Pakistan's case a very special one. Gonzalo, thank you very much. This has been a very good conversation. Uh, I I hope this has encouraged uh, this will encourage another twenty thousand uh, clicks on your uh, on your website. Uh, I, I would strongly encourage people to do that. It, it is a great report. For those of us who are trying to understand why Pakistan's economic performance is lagging behind, this is the report. It tells you why it's lagging behind overall, why it's lagging behind in agriculture, why it's lagging behind in manufacturing, why it's lagging behind in services, the three major segments of the economy. So I encourage people to read this report. And Gonzalo, once again, Thank you very much for your time. This has been a very uh, rewarding conversation. Thank you.